Who's doing it? You're doing it? Okay, great. Thank you. So um, a story for you that I, for me expresses this quality of kindness that's unconditional with a stranger and it can happen to any and all of us and, and does in different times and this is how it manifests. I arrived at the address and honked the horn. After waiting a few minutes, I honked again. This is a taxi driver. <coughs> Since this was going to be my last ride of the shift, I thought about just driving away. But instead, I put the car in park and walked up to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail voice. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 90s stood before me. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. The furniture was covered with sheets, no clocks on the walls, no utensils on the counters, only a cardboard box filled with photos. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab and then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly towards the curb and kept thanking me for my kindness. Oh, it's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I'd want my mother to be treated. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown on the way? Well, it's not the shortest way, I said. I know, she said, but I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she said in a soft voice. The doctors said I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she once worked as an elevator operator in the neighborhood where she lived with her husband when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse where, she, where it once had been a ballroom where she danced as a girl. And sometimes she'd just sit in front of a particular building and would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing. At the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon. She suddenly said, I'm tired now, let's go. We drove in silence to the address she'd given me. It was a low building like a small convalescent home. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. In a moment, the woman was already seated in a wheelchair and was being taken in. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Oh, nothing, I said. Oh, but you have to make a living, she answered. There are, and I said, no, there are passengers. I can, I'm fine. And almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held onto me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy. She said, thank you, and squeezed my hand. And I walked off into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought for the rest of the day. I could hardly talk. What if that woman had got an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I'd refused to take the run or had honked once and driven away? On a quick review, I don't think I've done anything more important in my life. That's the first time I've read that story without crying. <laughs> I'm usually welling up in every other piece. It's such a beautiful story. Um, such a beautiful expression of the spontaneous kindness of the heart that we all have within us. So one of the things I want to emphasize today is this quality is not alien to us. You know, we all have love as love is the nature of our hearts. And we have the capacity to be kind. We have the capacity to be caring. We have the capacity to love unconditionally at times. And we can all develop, you know, we can all grow this quality of the heart. We can, it's like a muscle in a way. And we can deepen our 
both capacity and capability. Um, so it's more available, more what we lead with rather than with our heads or with our judgments or with who knows what we might lead with. <clears throat> so for me, so I just a little about myself in, in the context of this practice. So I've been meditating for about 30 years started with this practice, the, the, the metta practice, loving-kindness, and mindfulness practice, started, started them at the same time. They're taught as separate practices. So the, the main practice here at Spirit Rock is Vipassana, insight meditation, which has its basis uh, mindfulness practice. And uh, over the years, the, the, the understanding, in, in this, at least in this tradition, has really, we've really come to see how integral the heart practices are, that it's, that we can't just, that, that having, just cultivating awareness practice and mindfulness is one-sided. We need to also balance that with cultivating kindness, heartfulness, compassion, care. So that's considered two wings of the bird, the practices of awareness and compassion, and that we need both to, to, to move through the world. And uh, what I've noticed in myself over the last um, a long time, maybe five or ten years, the, um, that these practices come together, that they're not separate, that, that when we're aware, when we're present, and we're really able to, say, be with somebody with presence, there's also qualities of kindness, of compassion, <coughs> of heartfulness. And so I also think of this meta-practice or meta-quality not just as a quality or feeling, but it's an attitude. And the combination of mindfulness and metta really help us move through and meet each other with a beautiful, beautiful presence. This is from um, uh, a Zen uh, teacher, the sixth Zen patriarch, who's one of the main teachers of Chan, Chinese Buddhism. He said, do not say that awareness and kindness and separate one cannot arise without the other. Awareness is the foundation of kindness, and kindness is the foundation of awareness. So kindness is the expression of our aware, aware clarity. So I'll talk a little, I'll weave through today how, how important it is to, to have these two qualities uh, functioning as we, as we are with ourselves, with experience, with each other. <clears throat> and if you think about it, if you think about any moment that you're aware, that you're present, that you're mindful, let me just ask, how many people are familiar with mindfulness teachings? Is everybody familiar with Simon? How many people are not so familiar with mindfulness? A few? Okay. So mindfulness is a quality, a capacity to be present, to be aware, without judgment in the present moment, with intention. And... If you think about a moment when you're fully present to something, right? What 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 qualities does those does that moment have? It has attention. It has a quality of curiosity. It's allowing the experience to be. It's accepting. It's not judging. It's open. And if you think about a moment of love, what do those qualities have? Also, it's it's attentive. It's accepting. It's allowing. It's not judging, it's not interfering, it's open, it's receptive, right? Very similar facets. I mean, they're different qualities, but they share a lot of similar 
building blocks or orientations. This is from the poet Mary Oliver. She says, can, anybody, can everybody hear me okay just by the way? How's the sound? Yeah? Good? Yeah. Hmm? She writes, there is nothing in this world if I can pay attention to it long enough that doesn't cease to foster wonder and with wonder love. If there is anything, I haven't found it yet. So this is the poetic sensibility. I haven't found anything in this world that if I pay attention to it long enough, doesn't cease to foster wonder and with wonder love. And just see if that's true for you and your experience. When you're really fully present, really curious and allowing the experience, this person to be as it is, it, it does engage the heart. Unless, of course, we get fra- afraid, reactive, judgmental, uh, feel threatened, then a whole other thing happens. But when we're, not, when we're in a non-judgmental awareness, right, there's a certain kindness or, or connectivity or an intimacy happens. I remember being doing these long retreats at uh, the center, the sister center to Spirit Rock. It's called Insight Meditation Society, IMS, in uh, Massachusetts. And it was, I was doing some long retreats there, and it was, it was a long time ago when the building was a little more ramshackle, and they had a lot of cockroaches. And the cockroaches would come at night, out at night in the kitchen mostly, uh, which is where you want them to come out, right? In the kitchen, the dining room, and... And, you know, cockroaches aren't the most beloved of creatures, uh, <laughs> unless you're an arachnologist or whatever they're called. Um, and, but of course, in this meditation center, everyone's on retreat, and they're moving slowly and mindfully and cultivating loving kindness. And so everyone's tiptoeing through the cockroaches. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking that, you know, they're, they're the most blessed cockroaches. Everyone's radiating loving kindness. May all beings be well, including cockroaches. And... It was quite a funny experience to have just you know to see the fear or the aversion or the repulsion to what we generally like don't want them in the kitchen to oh you know it's a it's life it's a it's a weird and wonderful expression of life. They did eventually get rid of them. You'd be happy to know. <laughs> <laughs> Health and safety said, okay, enough of this meta stuff and. And they went through a you know, whole crisis of how do we get rid of them without killing them. They got in psychics and they, they trails out <laughs> sugar into the woods and all kinds of things. <laughs> and, you know. So, you know, there's, there's wisdom and kindness and then there's, you know, there's balance, right? We, we live in a world with health and safety regulations. This is another way of... of um, mm, expressing it. So this is from Billy Collins, who's a poem about aimless love. And he's really speaking to this quality of what happens when, we, uh, when the heart is open and receptive. We're touched. We're more easily, we're more sensitive. So he writes, This morning as I walked along the lake shore, I fell in love with a wren. And later in the day with a mouse, who the cat had suddenly dropped under the dining room table. In the shadows of an autumn evening, I fell for a seamstress still at her machine in the tailor's window, and later for a bowl of broth, steam rising like smoke from a naval battle. This is the best kind of love, I thought, without recompense, without gifts or unkind words, without suspicion or silence on the telephone. My heart is always propped up in a field on its tripod waiting for the next arrow. 
After I carried the mouse by the tail to a pile of leaves in the woods, I found myself standing at the bathroom sink, gazing down affectionately at the soap, so patient and soluble, so at home in its pale green dish. I could feel myself falling again as I felt its turning in my wet hands and caught the scent of lavender and stone. I caught myself gazing down affectionately at the soap, so patient and soluble. And I know this feeling, it's a beautiful feeling when, you, when they were quiet enough and sensitive enough and, you know, a teacup, right? I mean, or, or a pitchfork in the soil or an ant or the way someone's bent over at a bus stop. It just, it just catches our heart and we just feel for, you know, our connection or humanity or life. Or, mm. So it's, it's really in here. It starts, as we know, it always starts in here. And then the world, we see the world depending on, on uh, you know, what's affecting our perception. And if our heart's open and sensitive, then we see, you know, we're more able to see the beauty or the fragility or the vulnerability or um, the mystery. So, and as I said, this is quality that's not, in, in not uh, foreign to us. You know, as children... Um, I was just with a friend of mine's uh, two-year-old boy. We were playing with trucks, and I got him a little carpenter table. He's banging things, and and um, you know, as children do when they go through those phases, they he's really excited to give you things. Here's a here's a big plastic bolt. Ooh, thank you. And that that innate generosity of heart. It's there. It's you know, there's other things in there too. Like that's mine. Get off, and you know. <laughs> But this that's quality it's it's it's, it's uh, this is from some four year old four to eight year old uh, my friend wrote this book about uh, interviewing children about about what their thoughts and feelings were about love and God and nature and things like that and so this is some quotes it says love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day love is what's in the room with you at Christmas even if you stop opening presents and just listen when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's an interesting perception. Um, and, you know, sometimes the perception is also a little skew from a four-year-old. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy goes out with shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> When you tell someone that you're something bad about yourself and you're scared they won't love you anymore, but then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, they love you even more. And this is from a fourth grader. He says, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> so children have it, and they also have an interesting <laughs> take on it. So the quality of matter is, as people have been speaking to some, um, has, a, has a slightly, uh, not slightly, sometimes much bigger, more radiant, um, inclusive quality of affection. So usually our love is, 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 is somewhat limited to loved ones, family, close friends, uh, maybe a few other strays here and there. 
but it's not it's not so generalized we don't we don't generally sit in traffic and feel radiant love for everybody who's blocking our way to get to the golden gate bridge no we feel contracted and we feel separate and we feel sometimes oppositional but this the quality that the buddha was pointing to was the capacity of the heart to really be unconditional to really love without expectation of return to love without demand to love without an agenda to love without um, reciprocation and of course this isn't as easy as as it's not easy (laughs) this is a cartoon from the New Yorker so there's a boy little boy sitting in the bed with his mom and he's obviously asked him something like mom do you love me forever or something and she says oh heavens no sweetie my love for you has tons of conditions <laughs> so you know and if we're really true it does for the most part right if 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 we're in relationship and you know we have certain agreements about the relationship and 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 that s- tends to at times put a con Constriction on the love. If our partner stops loving us, or our partner walks off with somebody else, it, 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 it's going to affect the romantic love. With matter, it will be more unconditional, but the romantic love that we're more familiar with will be like, mm, that's not working for me, and the heart will close pretty quickly. Uh, I'll do other things. So it's this quality of boundlessness, of feeling that sense of kindness, whether you know the person, whether you like the person, um, whether the person is knows you, doesn't know you, cares about you, doesn't care about you. So as one of my friends put it, he said, it's, I, it's the kind of love that wants everything for you and wants nothing from you. So how many relationships have you experienced, <laughs> growing up or otherwise, where you were just unconditionally loved? We are in some ways, in other ways there's also a lot of conditions placed on how we should be, how we should act, how we should talk, certainly as children, many conditions. So the poet Hafiz puts it this way, he says, even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me, look what happens to a love like that, it lights up the whole sky. So the sun's you know, radiance, you know, lighting up the whole sky, that's that sense of showering. So the Buddha talked about metta as gentle rain, that it rains equally. And when the rain comes, and well, it doesn't rain here much, but when it does, it's usually pounding, actually. <laughs> but you know, you get the idea. Just this gentle softness that's that's equ- that's equalized. This is from again from Mary Oliver. She writes about her. This is uh, I like this poem because it speaks to when we practice when, what what we practice, we become. What we practice in the past is what we are to some degree now. What we want to be in the future depends on what we practice today and tomorrow. So, you know, if if we aspire to have more love and kindness, then usually for most of us it requires that we practice. It requires that we turn our we incline our mind towards kindness, towards acceptance, towards forgiveness, towards compassion, understanding. This is for, so this poem is called In Praise of Craziness. On cold evenings, my grandmother, with ownership of only half her mind, the other half having flown back to Bohemia, would spread newspapers over the, gr- over the s- porch floor. So, she said, the garden ants could crawl underneath as under a blanket and keep warm. And what did I, and what shall I wish for for myself, but being so struck by the lightning of years, 
to be like her with what is left, that loving. So, and I've heard that, and I've heard that about monks. We had a beautiful elder monk who came from this Cambodian and uh, renowned meta uh, monk. Uh, we walk around after the killing fields in genocide in Cambodia and would, would just chant this chant. Um, hatred never ceases with hatred, only by love alone does hatred cease. Very beautiful pithy statement from the Buddha and he would chant it through going around the paddies and the villages and you know they'd been persecuted for practicing Buddhism and killed and most of their family all the monks got killed 597,000 monks and nuns got killed and um, and so so this was his practice and at the end of his life he started to lose his mind like the other half flown back to Cambodia or wherever and but what was left was just this beautiful loving heart like he would just walk around, he would bow to people with this big radiant smile. And just like that was left, just this simplicity, just kindness, just oh yeah. May you be happy. May you be happy. And then uh, uh, over time, we, we can practice this, and there's a, there's a category in the, in the meta practice where we cultivate this quality to strangers, to people we don't know. Uh, standing at the bus stop, standing in line, at the checkout. Right? The, the, the often the places that we need to have this, and I, I think of meta as like, as like lube, as like lubrication for the way that we move in the world. If, if there was more meta in the world, we would, there would be more harmony Right? But often there's impatience, there's frustration, there's time scarcity, and we don't take e- in each other in. There's, there's, there's uh, not a sense of warmth. This is from the poet Naomi Shihab Nye. She said, The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed them for three days before asking who they are, where they've come from, and where they're headed. That way they'll have enough strength, enough to answer. Or by then you'll be such good friends you don't care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts, here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve water to your horse. No, I wasn't busy when you came. I was not pretending to be busy. That's the armor everyone puts on to pretend they had a purpose in the world. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. So simple, ordinary acts of kindness. And the world, you know, the world somewhat, the human world somewhat survives on that. The way that we... Uh, you know, hold a door open, let people in line, call a friend, hug a crying child. This, this is happening all the time. And we have the capacity to grow that. One of the beautiful things about the meta practice is... Um, one of the translations that I've heard in Burma for this quality is uh, water drop connection. Now you get two drops of water and they're separate, they're separate, they're separate, and then they come together and when their boundaries touch, they fuse into one. Right? So Meta's understood this quality of connection. And when, when, when we're in our heart, we feel more connected. When we're disconnected from our heart, we also feel more separate. We feel isolated and it feels painful. Right? You feel familiar with that feeling? Sitting home alone, 
watching TV and the heart's shut down and you're feeling very isolated, or you're in a social function and the heart's closed out of fear and you feel incredibly lonely. Right? You can be feeling lonely today in this room full of 100 people when the heart's uh, restricted. As a, uh, when I was teaching this retreat, meta retreat up in Spirit Rock up the hill, and this woman made this comment about uh, she's she's always uh, hates bugs and just has a habit of killing anything that comes in range ants flies mosquitoes, which you know people do pretty habitually without thinking. And, when, and as she started doing more meta practice, she realized as we do when we in our hearts that every life is precious to itself. The most precious thing to an insect or a bug or a snake or a tarantula or whatever it is we don't like is its own life. And when we, when we can feel the preciousness of life, which we can when we mourn our hearts, then to kill it is violent. Yeah. And so she, so, so there, were, there was, it was, I don't know why there was more bugs that retreat, but there were. <laughs> and there were flies landing on her and, sh- and she was able to feel, you know, didn't like it. It's not like, oh yeah, great, come feed. And, you know. But there wasn't that sense of, I have to, to annihilate it. There was a sense of, oh, this is, this is a precious being. So with the meta practice, we start at home. We start with ourselves. So the, the, as with most things, what happens in here, how we are with ourselves is uh, an indication of how we are with each other, how we are in the world. And so it's really imperative to look at this relationship. And for many, if not most of us, it's harder to be kind here than it is out there. As many of you raised your hands. And working with people over the years that I have, I, I see for it, it's, it's hardest for most people to feel a sense of self-cherishing, appreciation, love, self-acceptance, kindness, compassion. You know, if someone, if a friend or a loved one is hurting, yeah, we can feel that responsiveness. When we are, we, we, you know, the, often the judging mind comes in, get over it. Oh, you're so pathetic. You should be over this by now. You're so weak. This is hopeless. Yeah. That sound familiar? Or different ways that we just, or we just push it away. So, so it's essential with the meta practice that we look at that relationship, how we are with ourselves. And yeah, the Buddha once said, he surveyed the whole world with his mind and saw nobody more worthy of love than his own self. And he wasn't saying uh, he's better than everybody else. He's just saying that, that, word, that, that, that this being here is worthy of love. Oscar Wilde put it this way. He said, to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong love affair. Right? Which it is. Or as my teacher in India put it, uh, when, he was ask, when people would ask him, often ask him about whether they should get married or not, uh, and is this the right person? And he would say, marry the one that will never leave you. Marry the one that will never leave you. And he wasn't talking about a person, another person. Right? This is from Nisargadatta, a great Indian teacher. When you know beyond all doubt that the same life flows through all that is, and you are that life, you will love, you will love all naturally and spontaneously. When you realize the depth and fullness of the love of yourself, 
you know that every living being and the entire universe are included in your affection. <laughs> so when we can hold this with a sense of kindness and care, it's that much easier. There's, there's a lot more empathy. There's a lot more compassion. And I'll, I'll say a little more about the formal practice of, of metta, but, you know, and, and, and the practice is formalized in a way to practice working with the different kinds of people that we meet. So we have ourselves, we have people we love, we have dear friends, and then we have this, the mass of humanity, which are neutral or strangers, and then we have people who are difficult in our lives, and then we have the whole universe, and the different ways we can practice cultivating wishing kindness and love for all of those categories. And so if you, when you listen to those categories, you might think, oh, I need really need to practice here or here or here. Or, God, I need to practice all of them. <laughs> um, you know, different, different, at different times in our lives, we'll be pulled to practice in different, in different ways in different places. For myself, you know, I, I started the practice, as I said, 30 years ago, I was in, I was in my late teens and um, had a lot of, didn't like myself very much, very self-judgmental, critical, a lot of hatred, anger, and um, had a sense that this practice would be a good thing to do. You know, I was mostly blaming everybody else. I was punk and I was an anarchist and the world was screwed and it was all going to hell and and then I realized a lot of that negativity was really just the way I was perceiving because of my own mind and so I started to you know, work in my mind as we do and um, you know at the beginning it was like my heart was pretty frozen like a big iceberg in there. and I was saying the phrases and the, the wishing matter but it was it felt somewhat rote but over time, it began to thaw. You know, my the, the whatever coldness and harshness in my heart began to thaw, and um, and over the years, I've really seen how the practice builds a sense of robustness around the capacity to love and to and self-accept, and and out of that, it does really make it easier to love others, to forgive others, to see when we can hold, you know, with a mindful, loving attention, all of ourselves, our stuff, our foibles, our struggles. And of course, we're much more compassionate with others because we just see it's, it's hard to be human. It's hard to be awake. It's hard to be loving. Anybody think that life's easy? <laughs> no, it's, it's hard to be, to be a human being. You know, it's a beautiful thing, wonderful, mysterious, and challenging. This is from the Christian mystic Thomas Merton, who spent a lot of his time in solitude, in meditation, and of course out of that comes a deep quality of the heart. He says, he was, this is walking down, uh, he, used to, he lived in North Carolina, and this was a day that he was outside of his monastery. He said, then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of the reality that each person is in their essence. If only people could see themselves as they are, if only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war, no more hatred, 
No more cruelty or greed. I suppose the big problem would be, would be that we'd fall down and worship each other. <laughs> so sometimes we see that, right? Sometimes we look, we, 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 I know, uh, we do have those rose-tinted glasses. Maybe you're freshly in love or maybe you just, you know, there's a, just a sense of sweetness and you, and you look and we see, you know, you look around, it's just a beautiful life, beautiful people, beautiful beings. You know, maybe you see it when you look in your puppy's eyes or your lover's eyes and, and then it starts to spill out towards other people. You know, when I'm teaching, it's a, it's a beautiful privilege to do the work that I do and one of, the th- one of the beautiful things is I get to see people's beauty, especially when they come on retreat and they, they arrive tired and haggard and stressed and then over time they soften and the, the, the stress leaves and the weariness leaves and then the, the light, the beauty, the love starts shining from the eyes and the face and the skin and uh, it's like flowers, like what spring blooming, you know. So we can have that all the time, or at least a lot of the time. So, with all that said, I think we should do some practice. So, um, How many people have done, I mean, there's many familiar faces here, how many people are familiar with metta practice, loving-kindness practice? So, okay, about half the, okay. So we'll do some meditation. Why don't we stand for a moment? If you want to s- sit on the floor on these cushions or benches, you want to grab something, please do. If you need anything extra to sit on your seat to make yourself more comfortable. If you need to stretch a little, because we've been sitting. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.